often Japanese rice, short grain rice, but sometimes uh, long grain rice can be used as well. Sorry, let's, you okay let's start over. I, yeah, I just knocked my barrier over in it, and one of my bottles took a tumble. Oh, no. What, what hit the ground? Oh, no. What oh, was it? Oh, my God. What did you knock over? I, I hit the Kirameki no Shima, that kokuto we were drinking the other night. Mm-hmm. On impact, it clouded up. Seriously? It looks like a karupisu soda or something. Wow. I'm going to have to try that with my bottle now. I'll go knock yeah, it just over. Just whack it against the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you need someone to be around you Someone to sit down and pour you shochu But sometimes saying goodbye to familiar folks is the only way Sometimes that's when you finally find your space Welcome to the Japan Distilled Podcast We're very glad to have you joining us today. I'm your host, Christopher Pellegrini, recording in my booze closet in Tokyo, Japan. And with me, as always, recording in Fukuoka, Japan, is my co-host, Stephen Lyman. We are both certified shochu and awamori professionals, published authors, and, and I think this might be the understatement of the decade, we both probably drink our body weight or several grown humans' body weights in sweet potatoes every single year. We've been exploring the wonderful world of Japanese spirits for more than a decade, and we are extremely excited to share them with you through this podcast. Stephen, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Christopher. As always, I think this episode is going to be interesting. I guess we haven't actually introduced what we're going to be talking about, but I'm going to do a little bit of a spoiler. We're talking sweet potato shochu. Yes. And for me, who's somebody who discovered these drinks in New York and had limited access to what was available and really could only dig into sweet potato when I was visiting Japan to now live here and be able to get my hands on all sorts of things. It's really been an incredible rabbit hole uh, for these drinks. There's just so much diversity just within a single ingredient. I feel so bad for people outside of Japan who the people who catch the sweet potato bug and they just have nowhere to turn. You just can't find it or at least not anything that's really of note I, I was trying to be very diplomatic and, and not <laughs> use a bad word there. It's really scarce outside of Japan, isn't it? The good stuff, the good sweet potato. That's right. Almost everything that exports is made by really large companies, which we'll touch on. And of course, fortunately, recently, there are a number of uh, much smaller distilleries who have begun to export. So good stuff is on its way, I think. But for a long time, you're only getting sort of the mass market, middle of the road uh inoffensive, I guess is a good way to describe it, uh, sweet potato shochu. I think that is a good way to describe it. It really is made for a wider audience. It's it's a really unassuming version of what sweet potato shochu is. It's definitely different from what it used to be, but we'll get into that in more detail. I think one of the easy ways to start this whole discussion, and I hope that you'll agree, is that we can just focus on your own experiences. I mean, you have ample experience making sweet potato shochu in a sweet sweet potato shochu distillery here in Japan. So I think we should start from your own experiences and your own thoughts on this. Sure. I mean, I've been working at Yamato Zakura seasonally every year since 2013. And if you want sort of a visual journey through the process, uh, visit my Instagram at shochu underscore danji, D-A-N-J-I. And back in 2017, I over about 
25 or 30 days, I documented every single step of the process uh, for making sweet potato shochu. So it's sort of a a storyboard. Um, But of course, I know how to make it, but that's one distillery that has just a handful of brands. So, and that's just scratching the surface of what sweet potato shochu can be and is, or should I say is and can be. Mm. Yeah, it's the most diverse subcategory in the entire shochu and awamori industry. And I know you're probably sitting there listening to this and saying, wait a second, how diverse can sweet potatoes actually be? Do you have a comment on that, Stephen? Well, to my understanding, there are about 50 different varieties of sweet potatoes used in sweet potato shochu production. And then you've got the the substrate that your koji is grown on. You've got the yeast. You've got the three types of koji. And all of those decisions can lead to just a really, really wild and wide uh, diversity of, of aromas, flavors, and experiences with these drinks. Right. And we'll get into that in much more mushy detail very, very soon. But I just want to remind everybody that this is the third in a series on the predominant styles of honkaku or what we can translate as authentic shochu in Japan. And the previous two episodes were about rice and barley shochu, respectively. And those two styles together represent probably, and, you know, I don't know what 2020 looks like exactly, but generally they make up about between 40 and 45% of the domestic market here in Japan. And today we're going to tackle the biggest seller, the most popular subcategory, which is sweet potato shochu, which is the other basically 50% or most of the rest of the market. And before we dive into all the nitty gritty and the fermentation and the history and all that, if you've been enjoying the show, then please tell your friends about us. (laughs) And if you have time, if you have the inkling, then ratings and reviews are always appreciated. We will love you forever and ever. So thanks for that. Um, and we've, you know, we're very gratified for the feedback, the questions, the comments that we've been receiving. And it's really nice to be able to connect with people and we love to give shout outs, right? Absolutely. On the rice episode, I asked folks for feedback if they thought it was the right amount of content, if they wanted more or less, got a lot of feedback from, from people. And generally it sounds like we're doing a decent job with the amount of information we're providing in a single episode about these uh, subcategories. Uh, but we also got great suggestions. We got really, really interesting future topic ideas from uh, Bill Gunter, uh, who's a friend of the show, and uh, Evan Gowan mm-hmm. also had a suggestion. And several other people have reached out with with really nice ideas about what we can be doing in future episodes. And unfortunately, I don't have all their names in front of me, but really, really appreciate the feedback. And hopefully it's just going to make uh, the show better and better. I'm sure it will. Uh, yeah. So hit us up either in the comments, anywhere you find this or social networks, whatever. We will respond as long as you say nice things. <laughs> but let's get into the nitty-gritty about sweet potato shochu and let's talk a little bit about how it's made and i'm going to put this on an extremely basic level we promise to get into more detail in future episodes but just like with barley shochu you have a couple of different choices for how you 
make the starter fermentation, how you build it. You can use a rice koji or you can use a barley koji. Now, in sweet potato shochu's situation, you can use sweet potatoes in the primary fermentation, but most of the time, it's a rice koji starter fermentation. And that means that I don't know what percent, but it's very high, over 95%, probably over 98 or 99% of sweet potato shochu has rice koji in it. So that's important to remember. And I think that that adds an extra layer of complexity. I think it boosts the overall quality of the shochu. Not to say that 100% sweet potato shochu is not lovely, but I often find the traditional style of rice starter, sweet potato in the secondary fermentation to be really deep and satisfying. What do you think, Steve? I, I agree. As you mentioned, koji is normally grown on rice for sweet potato shochu fermentations as you're building that uh, starter. And uh, usually it's Japanese rice, but it can also be long grain rice or Thai rice, Thai mai, as we mentioned in earlier episodes, uh, which is used uh, almost exclusively in awamori production, but it, it can be used for sweet potato as well. And those rice types are going to give you different expressions uh, with the koji. Uh, barley is quite uncommon. It does exist as a, as a starter for sweet potato, but really, really uncommon, as you mentioned. And then the sweet potato is the most difficult to work with because you basically have to freeze-dry cubed sweet potatoes and then rehydrate it to grow the koji. And that sounds like more work than it's probably worth, but there are some distilleries that do it because they do want 100% sweet potato expressions. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you've got the white koji, the black koji, and the yellow koji, which, again, is going to give you different uh, aromas and flavors. And then, as we mentioned, all of the different sweet potatoes, there's just so much that goes into these fermentations. And then how you prepare the sweet potatoes is a key point the ends of these potatoes actually have a lot of bitter quality. So you usually will trim away those ends. And then these potatoes are not shelf stable, you know, grocery store ready sweet potatoes. These are cultivated for maximizing yield of starch and nice aromas for uh, shochu production. So these are not the sweet potatoes you'd, discuss, you'd see in your local supermarket. These are big, white, starchy potatoes. They are sweet, so they're not like our white potatoes in the States or overseas, but uh, they are very different. And because they're not designed for sale to, to supermarkets or to restaurants, they actually begin to rot as soon as you take them out of the ground. So you really want to process them very quickly, which makes sweet potatoes shochu production a very seasonal thing. And then the other thing is, as you're preparing the potatoes, each potato has to be hand inspected for signs of rot, because that rot can, A, you could be introducing bacteria into your fermentation. Of course, you're going to steam the potato, so that should kill it, but you also are going to potentially introduce uh, off flavors and aromas if that rotten part is too plentiful in what ends up in the fermentation. Mm -hmm. So all of these decisions about how to cut uh, very few styles are peeled because a lot of the flavor is in the in, is in the skins. Right, but uh, and then almost all sweet potato shochu is made with steamed sweet potatoes, but there are also roasted sweet potato shochus. Sure, right. So there's all of these different decisions being made, which is part of what makes it just such a broad category. It's such a fascinating part of the industry, and it definitely has the most brands in terms of 
the available brands for consumption on a year-to-year basis. We're talking thousands of brands are produced every year, mostly in a rather geographically constricted area down in southern Kyushu. It is sweet potato shochu is made all, all across the country, maybe not in every prefecture, but quite a bit. However, it really is, the production is concentrated down in southern Miyazaki, Kagoshima Prefecture, and that's about it, really. We're talking about a very small area, and it's a fascinating category because, yes, these tubers are pulled out of the ground. How many other spirits are made from things that grow underground? It's a really, really cool part of the sweet potato shochu story. But despite all of this quality and variety in the sweet potato category, it is still shochu as a, a whole and sweet potato shochu in particular, of course, is still not recognized as its own category by the TTB in the United States of America. And I can never remember, what the hell does TTB stand for? Do you know? I, I believe it's test tube baby, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, those test tube babies have very strict rules and guidelines and they're yep. uh, not, not flexible. Seriously though, it's uh, Alcohol and Tobacco Tax and Trade Bureau from the U.S. Department of the Treasury. That's the so it should be the ATTTB. That's, That's right. Weird. Mercifully, it is the, the TTB. Off. That's important. I think it's good that it's just TTB because I'd never remember ATTTB. Okay, whatever. So the TTB <laughs> can, <laughs> does not recognize shochu as its own category yet. Hopefully that will change. So when you see a product, a sweet potato shochu product in the United States, at least, it's going to say on the front label, um, it's going to say something to the effect of spirits distilled from sweet potatoes and probably rice. It won't say probably on the label. I inserted that. But if it's a normal or regular sweet potato shochu, it'll say sweet potatoes and rice. Of course, if it's 100% sweet potato shochu, then it'll say spirits distilled from sweet potatoes and nothing else. But that's the required labeling on the front of the package. You can't just say sweet potato shochu. That's not allowed. It has to describe the ingredients, which is kind of annoying. I hope they get past that relatively soon. All you folks that are listening in the United States, you can help this process by drinking more shochu. Anyways, let's get into the history a little bit, and then we'll move back into the, you know, the, the nitty gritty again. Go ahead, Stephen. What you got for us? Sure. The... Sweet potato is not native to Japan. As I'm sure many of our listeners know, sweet potatoes were originally in South America, uh, Peru and, and that area of the, of the globe. And they were brought to Asia by, I believe, Portuguese traders who traded them with the Chinese. The Chinese traded them with the Okinawans, or at that time, the Ryukyu kingdom folks. And then the Okinawans eventually traded with Japanese fishermen, and a fisherman named Maeda Riemon brought the sweet potato to Kagoshima, or at the time Satsuma, in 1705. And he began cultivating sweet potatoes in Satsuma. And then in the 1720s, 1730s, it was a huge crop failure, and rice, barley, millet, all of the grains failed. And because Satsuma, the Satsuma domain had grown so many sweet potatoes, they could feed uh, their population. In other parts of Kyushu, where this uh, crop failure had occurred, there was uh, mass starvation. 
and the Satsuma domain was was spared that uh, horror because of the sweet potato. So, and that's also why people remember the fisherman's name because essentially he's credited with saving the lives of thousands of people. The sweet potatoes, as I mentioned, they begin to rot as soon as you harvest them. So, the local farmers and fishermen realized they had to do something else with them. And of course, because distillation technology had already arrived, they started making sweet potato shochu in Satsuma. And then it just basically grew from there. It became their local their local spirit. Hmm. In the intervening years between then and now, sweet potato shochu has grown. It has reached other parts of the country. It's all the way up into islands closer to where I live. And there is immense diversity in the category. And back in the 90s, I believe, the WTO saw fit to grant Satsuma Shochu, sweet potato shochu made with sweet potatoes harvested in Kagoshima Prefecture, grant that style a GI, or what's known more formally as a geographical indication, just like champagne can only be made in the Champagne region of France, and scotch can only be made in Scotland. Satsuma shochu can only be made in Kagoshima. And so you may see on the back of a, some labels, sometimes it's on the cap, on top, sometimes it's even on the front label, this little kind of oblong, flat, in a horizontal sense, kettle that is one of the traditional ways to heat and serve shochu. There's varying shapes and styles across Kyushu and even into Okinawa. But this kuro satsuma style, this black satsuma Mm, what is it? It's a type of ceramic, I guess, is really the working man's way of pouring and serving shochu, or at least it was hundreds of years ago. And that is enshrined in the GI Satsuma Shochu mark. That's right. And it's a little unfortunate, I think, that only Kagoshima Prefecture gets to use the Satsuma mark because the Satsuma domain's borders don't perfectly align with the modern Kagoshima borders. There are parts of uh, Miyazaki and I believe even Kumamoto prefectures that were part of the Satsuma domain hmm. back when all this was going on. Uh, but I guess the Kagoshima prefectural government was a little wiser, a little quicker to the to, to the yeah. negotiating table with the WTO to get that designation and cut Miyazaki out, which is a little uh, ironic because today Miyazaki is the largest producer of sweet potato shochu by volume. There are fewer yeah. distilleries in Miyazaki. There are uh, over 100 active distilleries in Kagoshima, and there are, what, around between 40 and 50, I believe, in Miyazaki. That's right. Uh, and there is also a, a, a distinct terroir to the different regions of even with, within the prefectures. Uh, on the east side of Kagoshima, close to uh, Sakurajima, which is the one of the most active volcanoes on Earth, there is so much ash in the soil that the shochu will get a little bit of minerality uh, from the potatoes. And the potato love, love all those minerals, and that's actually why they grow so well there, where rice and barley don't. So that's another reason why sweet potatoes tend to be one of the predominant agricultural products. Right. But if you get further away from Sakurajima out to the west, especially get out to the islands, the style changes dramatically. So there really is a, almost a micro terroir in different parts of if Kagoshima and Miyazaki Prefecture for uh, for these shochu. Yeah, absolutely. That, and it is you're right. It is a little 
unfortunate. I'm not sure if it's unfortunate. It's a, it's interesting. It's a weird quirk of history that Miyazaki Shochu production is not included in the Satsuma Shochu mark. But then again, there's on the other side, the, the biggest selling, the biggest producer, the biggest name in sweet potato Shochu is actually a distillery, as you mentioned, in Miyazaki Prefecture to the north. And inter- interestingly enough, it's called Kirishima Shuzo or Kirishima Distillery. Of course, Kirishima is actually in Kakushima. <laughs> so it's quite confusing for a lot of consumers when they hear of Kirishima. A lot of people outside of Kyushu assume that Kuro Kirishima, which is the most famous, probably best selling, absolutely best selling shochu in the world, is actually made a bit to the north in Miyakonojo, which is in Miyazaki Prefecture. And Kirishima became the best-selling shochu in Japan a little over 10 years ago. It dethroned Ichiko, which had held court as a top-selling brand for quite a long time. And you can find Kuro Kirishima pretty much everywhere. And I don't think that's an exaggeration. Every or 99.999% of uh, convenience stores, supermarkets, and places that have at least one sweet potato shochu on the menu, so I'm talking restaurants and bars, there's a very, very good likelihood that Kuro Kirishima is one of them. Kuro meaning black, black referring to the type of koji that's used in the primary fermentation before the sweet potatoes are added. And as I understand it, they've really helped to revolutionize the use of frozen sweet potatoes, which means that they can produce all around the year. Their distillery in Miyakonojo is an is an absolute unadulterated factory. It is gigantic. It is just pumping out product. I it's not 24 hours a day, I would assume, but it's most of the year. And they do a lot of things very, very well. I am really impressed that they can always make their shochu taste exactly the same, regardless of harvest, regardless of year, regardless of any other factors that affect the quality of the sweet potatoes. And I'm impressed with their sales operation to get such a wide reach on their product. They also do a good job of recycling the, you know, in terms of creating biofuels and there's a very strong sustainability bent to a lot of what they do, especially more recently. So it's a remarkable company and a very successful one. And they've been leading the industry for quite some time. They have been. And just to give you a sense of scale, now they don't have just one distillery. They have several, but their newest distillery, I believe can put out 400,000 liters of raw distillate per day. Yamato Zakura, where I work, makes 40,000 liters of raw distillate a year. Yeah. So they can make 10 times more shochu in a single day than Yamato Zakura can make in an entire year. So they, they really are a massive, massive producer, and they are everywhere. Uh, the Kuro Kirishima is the ubiquitous brand, as you mentioned, but then they also have Aka Kirishima, right. which is red Kirishima. And that's not because they use red koji. Uh, I'm not aware of any red koji. Uh, shochu, but it's because they use red sweet potatoes for that. And that one is really considered a premium brand by a lot of Japanese. It costs a little bit more and you'll often see it on menus at places that are a little bit more exclusive. 
so they 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 decide all right we're going to put akakirishima on the menu rather than kurokiri because uh we're a little bit more fancy shop mm-hmm. right? Uh, right and that actually is often given to people as gifts is is akakirishima and then they do have even more premium limited brands uh, but really, yeah, they hu- do. huge, huge company. I, I had heard, and I really want to confirm this, and maybe we'll talk about it a little bit more in a future episode, that how they really got their start and how they passed Ichiko was that some famous celebrity at the right time on the right TV program said, I only drink Kuro Kirishima. That's all it takes sometimes. That just got everyone curious about it. So everybody started drinking it. They had the sales force in place to deal with that, and they were able to ramp up production, and and the rest is history. Uh, so, yeah, really, really big company. It's interesting because before them, probably the predominant brand for sweet potato shochu was Satsuma Shiranami from Satsuma Distillery in Kagoshima, and that's a really iconic label. It's got a um, a wave, so Shiranami means white wave, and it has this really iconic beautiful label. I really, really love the artwork for it. It's very Showa, right? It's really old style Japan Mm -hmm. in many ways. And that brand, when I first started drinking it 10, 15 years ago, had so much character and it was just so interesting. And it was almost like I couldn't make out (laughs) what is this drink? You know, it really was this sort of full-bodied old school style. And actually at that time, if I would session Shiranami, like I was out at an izakaya for an evening and that's the bottle we were drinking. I ended up having like psychedelic dreams, like <laughs> really, really wild dreams. The oils are getting to you. And it happened several, several times huh. with that. And and it, it ended up over time, they they evolved the, the flavor profile and it's a much more um, mainstream, easy drinking expression now. And those dreams have disappeared. So there was something in the old, the old something formula. addictive in it that makes me crave for it nightly. <laughs> um, yeah, Satsuma Shironami was essentially the king back in the day when I first came to Japan as well. It was really controlling the entire sweet potato shochu market. But then I think their priorities switched a little bit. They started focusing on developing international markets, and they stopped focusing quite so much of their energy and their resources on the Kagoshima market, which was really important to them at that time. And they were kind of usurped in that space. And they are now no longer the leading sweet potato shochu consumed, at least in Kagoshima City, which always used to be the case. But you're right. The the drink has changed over time as it has been adjusted, as it has been massaged to kind of reach a larger audience i think is what they're going for but it's satsuma shiranami you can get that overseas just as you can get kuro kirishima especially in the united states i know they're available but those are some pretty large makers those are the big the big folks and they're very very good they work a number of different ways but i would put them in kind of the the medium, unoffensive, inoffensive category, if I had to split Sweet Potato Shochu into three groups, I'd probably say that there's a more traditional group, something more unctuous, spicier, more just more from the earth. You've got the medium group, which is the toned down version of that, the more modern version of that. And then more recently, we've got this fruity or very light type Sweet Potato Shochu, which has come about in the last five years where you're using 
different potato strains, different yeast strains. You're getting some of this lychee. You're getting some wine-like notes in sweet potato shochu, which is pretty bonkers when you think about it. There's a lot of innovation going on. It's very cool to see. I guess one of those one of those really fruity styles would maybe be like Yasuda, I think is one that people often look for. Mm-hmm. And then Flamingo Orange has come on more recently. I think that may be a private, that's a private brand, I think for Kosedo Saketen down in Kagoshima made by the same, by the makers of Yasuda actually. So this is a new style that we'll probably see a lot more of. It's a style that goes very well with sparkling water. And I think that's the goal is for it to be a really refreshing, lighter style drink that people can session. They, they really are. They're- they're almost like tropical fruit notes. You've get almost confectionery. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's really, really bright, light, easy drinking. It's so far removed from that traditional style that you and I fell in love with when we started that it's almost unrecognizable as sweet potato shochu. Yeah. The, the yeast is so strong. And then what they're playing around with, with fermentation time and temperature and what kind of potato they're, they're using has really turned the category on its head in a big way. And there are just new brands in this style coming out all the time. Yeah. And they get a lot of attention. So I don't think many or any of them have made it to export yet, but there's no doubt that they will. It's a it's definitely going to be a style. And I do think that there there is a potential mass market appeal there, uh, where I think the really traditional styles are probably always going to be niche just because they're so funky and weird that's going to be your hardcore mezcal drinkers your sure uh you know armagnac drinkers the people into really really deep interesting drinks are probably going to gravitate toward the classical or traditional styles where uh the the light fruity ones will probably be the the crowd pleasers going forward yeah and i think we're both in the the group of people that gravitates towards the funkier more traditional the more expressive styles, at, at least in terms of depth. And, you know, they're not super available outside of Kyushu even, to be perfectly fair. And they're not as common as they once were. When I first arrived in Japan, I felt like there was a lot more stuff that kind of fit the old classic style. But there's far less of it these days. Now, having said that, and you should go out, if you're new to the sweet potato shochu world, you should go out and try and find Shiranami. Try to find Kurokiri, Kurokirishima. Kurokiri is the nickname for Kurokirishima, at least in Japan. Try those out. Try them on the rocks. Try them with some hot water, oyuari, which is always a pleasure, and both of them work that way. But I guess if... Well, let's let's make our own recommendations for brands that we know are available, at least in the United States, which is what we're most familiar with. What would you recommend over there? Yeah. I mean, we were talking about 100% sweet potato before. What What's available in the States? Well, I think for 100%, you've got two brands, uh, Ikoman and Benny Eco. They're both 100% sweet potato shochu. And Ikoman is made with Kogane Sengan, which is a standard sweet potato. And then Beni Eco, Beni means purple. So it's made with a purple varietal of sweet potato. Okay. Expressed yep. very differently uh, because of the difference in potato. So that's really a nice way to see how the potato itself can influence the drink, especially because you're going to have no effect from rice, right? It'll only right. be sweet potato. And uh-huh. these are spicy. They really have a lot of black pepper in both expressions, but then you get a, you get a different flavor and aroma from the from the purple sweet potato. So that's a fun one. Another way to sort of explore uh, 
in that way is if you want to understand how Koji influences sweet potato shochu, the Hozan series is a good way to do that. Sure. They've got Kicho Hozan, which is black Koji, Tomino Hozan, which is yellow Koji. And then a, a recent release is Hakuten Hozan, which is a white Koji expression. And very helpfully, the labels are black, yellow, and white. And so yeah. that's a nice way to taste through how Koji influences because they're using the three different Koji, the same sweet potato made in the same distillery. So it's a really that's nice a- way to to see that's that. a really good educational way taste them side by side mm-hmm. see how the aromas differ and then try them a variety of ways for instance the black koji kicho hozan will probably play a little bit better as will the white with hot water mm-hmm. whereas the yellow koji tomino hozan which is a great starting point for people new to the category because it's really floral and fruity that one's going to play a little bit better with cooler temperatures possibly even with with sparkling water and yeah there's a lot of there is some good interesting stuff going to the states for instance there's some aged stuff some long aged sweet potato shochu probably the most famous is tenshi no yuaku mm. which is a barrel aged sweet potato shochu and i know that sounds pretty interesting and it is it's actually really good it's fantastic it's it yeah it, i think it might be sherry casks they have okay. it's a it's a lovely drink it's actually 40 percent alcohol which is quite high for a a genshu or an undiluted sweet potato shochu they usually come in between 36 and 38 percent yeah this is actually made by nishi distillery which is the same uh, as the makers of the hozan series right and uh yeah they've got a lot of representation definitely yep then also longer aged, and this one is brand new to the market, is Mahoko, made by Furusawa in Miyazaki Prefecture. Mahoko is aged for, well, it's aged in a combination of ceramic pots and enamel-lined steel tanks. What's the age on that thing? 15 years? 15, 16. Yeah, 15, it's got 16 some, years some old. time on it. Really, really deep sweet potato shochu expression. And, and that's uh, 35% alcohol. 35% alcohol. Yep. So it just barely sees a little bit of what's called wadimizu or dilution water from the spring. Yeah, yeah and that's that's a handmade by Furusawa and a couple of other handmade uh, distilleries are actually also from Miyazaki. Furusawa is uh, from Miyazaki. Uh, are Toji Junpei and uh, Watanabe. Sure. Those distilleries uh, both make handmade sweet potato shochu and both are available in the U.S., uh, very very nice drinks. Uh, the Toji so Toji means master brewer distiller. Yep. And his his first name is Junpei. <laughs> yeah, Toji Junpei. So that's his way of telling you that he made yes. it. He just named it after himself. <laughs> so if you had to pick a favorite, hmm. what would it be? I that's rough. I know that's not fair either. Maybe not even a brand per se. If you want to name a top three, then great. But maybe a style. Uh yeah, I'm. I definitely, as you said, like the more full-bodied, but there's this, there's this sort of emo kusai, which means like smell, emo smelly, like smelly sweet potato, mm-hmm. which is like how people often describe the old school sweet potato shochus. And I like those, but some of them can almost be too much. And so what I found is I really gravitate toward the full-bodied, but balanced, mm-hmm. where you're getting some pepper, you're getting some fruit, you're getting some earth you're getting some uh 
maybe even a little bit of dairy, right? It's really a well-rounded drink. Mm-hmm. And that's what I tend to gravitate toward. And I would put Yamato Zakura, which I help make actually on, a, on the lighter side of that spectrum. It's a, it's a lovely drink and it's certainly something that I, I keep at home and I drink regular, regularly. Mm-hmm. But for my money, I actually, I, I'll put my nickel down. My favorite, favorite brand, it's actually what I'm sipping on now, is uh, Rokudai Meiyuri. Oh, baller. Which... Yeah, it's a really, really lovely drink from uh, Koshiki Island uh, off the coast of Kagoshima. And as I said, there is this very distinct terroir, almost micro terroir around Kagoshima. Koshiki has two distilleries and they both express this way. And you almost never find this flavor and aroma profile from any other sweet potato shochu. Mm. It's a really, really unique. Yeah, I'm a fan as well. That's a beautiful sweet potato shochu. Unfortunately, can't get it anywhere. (laughs) It's hard to find. (laughs) Whenever I find a bottle on a shelf in the wild, I I buy it. Uh, I buy that stuff by the the 1.8 liter on Yahoo auctions. How about you, Chris? Are you going to put your nickel down? Where, where where do you fall in? Well, I'm drinking right now one of my favorites, which I also source from the internet on the secondary market because it's very hard to find, and that's Manazuru, which is made by Manzen. And it's an absolutely beautiful uh, white koji sweet potato shochu made up in the mountains in northeastern Kagoshima Prefecture. I love to drink it straight. It's so good straight. You can just sip it. It's 25% alcohol, so it's not going to blow your head off. And I also love it, Oyuari. It's a once-a-year production type of thing, so it's very limited. It doesn't really make its way north, so I have to go chasing it every year. And I think it amuses the, the brothers who who are responsible for the brand. They, th- they think it's hilarious when I complain about this every time <laughs> I go down there. I'm like, man, I'm making special trips down here just to get my hands on this stuff. And they're like, oh, we appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, you guys are hilarious. Yeah, that's actually the Mon- that's Monzen. So Monzen is available, uh, at least in the US. The, their Black Koji version, which is the main right. the main brand. The main brand. And then they have Monzen On, which is the yellow Koji, and then Manazudu, which is the white Koji. And... That is a lovely drink. For me, it's so precious that I have a bottle and I haven't opened it. So I really need to go back to that, uh-huh. to uh, Manazuda. But probably of what's available in the States, Manzen is probably my favorite. It's just really hard to find. Yeah, it is. It comes over in the 1.8 liter, liter bottles and it's very limited. So uh, maybe there'll be more available in the future. But uh, for now, if you see that, drink it. Yep, absolutely. So... Yeah, this is this has been good, and we only just really, honestly, completely scratched the surface on this subcategory. It's the most diverse in the entire industry, and I don't mean that as a slight to any of the other subcategories by ingredient over here, but there's just so many different varietals of sweet potato being used. All three types of koji are used. You've got just so many choices and decisions that the toji has to make while producing these products. And there's immense unending variety. And it seems to be expanding with all of the new fruity styles. Mm -hmm. And it's not, I mean, probably what 90, 95% of sweet potato shochu is made in Kagoshima and Miyazaki. Definitely. But it's not exclusive. You do find some made in Kumamoto, some in Fukuoka, in other parts of Kyushu. 
And the, I've I've seen or heard of sweet potato shochus being made up in Honshu. Yep. Uh, and even in Hokkaido. Although Hokkaido, actually, they use the, the white potato like you would expect from a vodka more often, right? right? I guess in Japanese, jagaimo. They often do, yeah. Uh, which is a very, very different expression. But uh, you're right. We've just scratched the surface on this. I have a feeling we're going to have all sorts of episodes exploring all different aspects of both shochu production methods, which is what a lot of the requests were that people uh, were asking for in in future episodes with the comments we've been receiving recently, but also digging into what makes a purple sweet potato special, what makes Kogane Sengan so important, Mm -hmm. all of that sort of thing. So there's just going to be so much more uh, content on, on shochu, I believe. So thank you very much for listening today. And if you're interested in learning more about sweet potato shochu or any other type of shochu for that matter, please go out, go to your local bookshop and buy a copy of Stephen's book, The Complete Guide to Japanese Drinks. If they don't have it, then please ask them to order it. It's a fantastic book that will bring you up to speed on all the history, all the different styles, and not just on shochu and awamori, but other drinks made in Japan as well. We'd also like to remind you that we now have our weekly Japan Distilled Show Tuesday live streaming on our Facebook page and our YouTube channel. That's 9 p.m. Eastern every Tuesday currently and 10 a.m. in Japan on Wednesday morning. You can find me at Chris Pellegrini on Twitter and Christopher Pellegrini on Instagram. Stephen, where can people find you? You can find me at Japan Distilled on both Twitter and Instagram. We also, as Christopher mentioned, Earlier, we have a Facebook page now for the show. Uh, Please reach out with any questions or with feedback about the show. I also, as I mentioned, have a series of photos at shochu underscore danji on Instagram on the production process, which is probably worth checking out if you want to learn more about how sweet potato shochu is made. Uh, This was back in 2017. And for additional reading, of course, everyone should have read, if they haven't already, they need to go out and get it, the new and improved the Shochu Handbook by Christopher Pellegrini, now available on Amazon. Lots of great content on sweet potato shochu and other styles. Lots of brand recommendations, drinking styles, all that sort of thing. And of course, if you'd like to see any reviews of specific brands that are available overseas, there's a decent chance that they're on our site, kampai.us, which has lots of reviews of export brands. So thank you very much for listening. Our theme song is Begin Anywhere by the very talented Tomoko Miyata. Our audio engineering is completely done in his home by the incomparable Rich Pav, who also edits the fantastic Uncanny Japan podcast with Teresa Matsuura. Please be sure to check that podcast out as well if you're interested in Japanese fables and ghost stories. Thanks, everyone, and to all of you everywhere in the world, from both of us here in Japan, a very hearty and heartfelt kanpai. Kanpai. Kanpai.